Well, God is very gentle. He's very gentle with us. I know during that same time, uh, during, during that same time, you know, we were just uh, going through such a difficult situation. And, and um, I had gotten to the point where I was really worried about her. So I took her to my friend and he was able to help her. But uh, just prior to that, uh, I just felt like all I could see was vultures circling me overhead. You know, I, uh, I had uh, preached and been a Christian for many years, but then I got to a point where I felt like that, that I had no hope, that I had no future. I couldn't see past what was right in front of me. And, you know, I had gotten to the point where I did not care to live anymore, and I actually left work one day and went home to uh, commit suicide. Uh, and uh, as you know the, the story, you know, I, I was sitting on the edge of the bed when uh, when uh, Marlene came in the door from the uh, uh, her uh, workplace. What had happened is at 10.30 in the morning, I left work and went home and decided uh, I'm going to end it all. Things are bad, uh, you know, and you know I was going through a divorce also at the time. and. I just felt like that I had no hope. I couldn't, I couldn't find my way out of this situation. And I went in the house, I sat down uh, on the edge of the bed and we were in an apartment. And I reached uh, over and picked up my pistol and I pulled the slide back and put one in the chamber and started to raise the gun up. And when I did, I don't know why, but you think of weird things at a time like that. Obviously I wasn't thinking clearly. But I remember that I had just thrown my coat on the on the couch, and Marlene come home. She wasn't like that. She wanted me to hang it up, so I went in there to hang the coat up. But she wasn't there, you know. Right. And you know, here I'm thinking of something like this, and I'm thinking about my coat. So, <clears throat> so I come back in the bedroom and I sit down on the edge of the bed. Now it's like 10:30, and she's at work. Right. And I I reached down to the I reached down off to the bed and grabbed the gun, and I and I had the gun, and I'm raising it to my head when I heard something at the at the apartment door. And she was at work, and uh, all of a sudden she got this unction. She didn't know what at the time. It had to have been the Holy Spirit leading her, saying, you've got to go home. Something's wrong at home. You've got to go home. And uh, so when, uh, when she went to her boss and said, I need to go home. And she told her, said, well, what do you mean you got to go home? It's 1030 in the morning. She said, there's something wrong at home. I have to go home. So, and there she was, and it was her coming through the door. And she come through the door of the apartment while I've got the gun in my hand. And she's saying, she's yelling my name, and she's saying, something's wrong, what's going on in here? And so she walks back in the bedroom and she sees me there and I think she knows what's going on. And I just, I just dropped to the floor there by the bed and just cried like a baby. You know, you can get to a point where I'm, I'm remembering uh, David and, and the things that David went through in his life. And, and he had everyone against him, people talking about him. They, they wanted to do away with him. And you know, the Bible says David put on the ephod, uh, put on the ephod and then he called out to God. And I was to a point where I felt like I made so many mistakes and I made such a mess out of my life that there was no way out. But I went to a church, I went to church, I think it was the next night, and I put myself on the altar at that church and I said, God, 
if you just give me one more chance, just give me one more chance. And from that day to this, everything changed. God is a God of second chances and third chances and fifth chances. And with God, we need to pray big prayers. I'm not much on praying a sissy prayer. I mean, a prayer is a prayer, but God's a big God. And if he's a big God, then let's pray big prayers and believe God for something big. And I believe God first. I asked God to take worry away from me. And he took worry out of my life. I mean, almost immediately. Marlene would say, yeah, we're going to pay the electric bills. I don't know. Come on, can we just celebrate? Feels appropriate. Let's just pray. God, we're so grateful for the hope that we have. And I pray for every heart, Lord, that is in need of your hope today, God. We thank you that you are still breaking in to our midst. And Father, right now, would you touch every hopeless heart, the sound of my voice, God. Would you infuse them with courage? Would you let them know your nearness, God? And you, would you bring a calm and a stillness to the waters of their soul? Come on, even those right now who know somebody who needed to watch that video, come on, bring them to your mind right now. Lord, we pray for those in our lives who need the hope of Jesus. We pray that you would touch them with your peace. God, we thank you that you move toward our hopeless estate. You don't move away. You draw near. Draw near, God. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen and amen. Again, I am so glad that you are here today. I don't believe it's by accident. I believe it's by appointment. And I'm in, in, encouraged and excited to have heard just some of the stories that have been coming in and through this series we've done over the last couple weeks. And I uh, want to encourage you, don't worry if you've, if you've not been here. This is your first Sunday. We, we hope you feel welcome. We're glad that you're here. But we are wrapping up a series where we have looked at who Jesus is, but not, not from a distant way, but from a real way. You know, I like to tell people that you are the best Bible some people will ever read. You know, Tom, whose incredible testimony, and Marlene, whose incredible testimony there, can I tell you something? That in their workplace, somebody may never pick up a Bible, but how many of you know they'll listen to a story? You know, it's so incredible that in our journeys, don't belittle the story that God's writing in your life. I believe that he is up to such good things in our midst. And today in particular, I'm excited. We're going to talk about this word, hope. You know, in Tom's testimony, you talked about vultures circling around. Now, I hope you can understand that was a symbolic gesture. All right. There weren't physical vultures in his office. I know, I know how office work can be. I know it's sometimes you like, <laughs> sometimes they take on a physical embodiment. All right. But the reality is life wasn't worth living for him. He reached such a place of disappointment and discouragement and fear and anxiety. And let's just be real. There are moments <clears throat> where those emotions begin to lead our life. And I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful for a heavenly father who listens when we call and is faithful 
to meet us in the midst of those difficulties. And for you, it may feel like the vultures are surrounding your life. In fact, you, you, you may feel like life, forget a crossroad, life has hit a wall and you can't break through. I want to encourage you today. Don't give up hope. Keep holding on. God is going to do something good. We believe part of our ethos at Hillside, part of our culture at Hillside is Jeremiah 29, 11. To a hopeless people, God broke in and brought a word of hope that your future is good, that his plans for you are for your welfare, that you're not forsaken, you're not left behind, and God has got an amazing year, decade, future in store for you. And so I want to spend a few moments unpacking. If there's a title for my message, it is this, Hope Has a Name, and it's Jesus. It's found in the person of Jesus. I want to I want to visit the history books for a few moments and 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 kind of set the stage for the direction of where we'll be going today. And um I want to just just bring to mind um some of the difficulties of World War II and World War II in Britain especially. The Nazi regime, the Nazi army was not in Britain. We can hold off on that. It was not in Britain at the time, but they were doing something called air raids. Phenomenal air raids, so much so that between the 7th of September 1940 and the 10th of May 1941, there were over 71 air raids. Over 18,000 tons of missiles were dropped, primarily in London, but on the eastern coast of Britain. Hitler, along with his military, was trying to destroy the nation, not only in the physical, but to break their backbone, to quench their resolve, to get them to give up. And many historians believe that if somehow they had actually overtaken Britain, the war would have been won. And much of the life you and I know today would not exist. But there was something at play. The prime minister had just taken charge. His name is Winston Churchill. He was nicknamed the Bulldog. And something very unique began to happen with Winston Churchill. He was almost overconfident. He was almost overzealous. You and I, if he was our teenage son, we would, we'd have to rein him in. He was ridiculous. One of the things Winston Churchill would do is he would go each and every day after a bombing. He didn't run to the other side of the nation. He went to visit the bomb sites. That's the picture we had coming up. That in the evenings, these air raids, right, so they couldn't be detected, they would drop over London. And in one particular town called Hull, over 95% of the buildings were affected by these air raids. Winston Churchill was a leader unlike any other. He relished the opportunity. With his back against the wall, he would go into the rubble and into the destroyed buildings and facilities. And you can almost like me imagine, hey, they took down our buildings, but they didn't take you out. The fires are raging. The walls are crumbling down, but there's still breath in our lungs and there's still blood in our bodies. It's a remarkable thing. And in fact, the odds were stacked against them. They live 
with a sense of impending doom. They, in fact, had something that at the beginning of the week, almost every Saturday, they would somehow trigger and say in their minds, you know, next Saturday's Invasion Saturday. But because of Winston Churchill's attitude, that during the nights, yes, he would protect himself and his troops were protected, and they had moved thousands of the kids to the western part of the countryside to protect the next generation. But in the days, it's said that in some of these buildings that had been, the roof had been blown off, he would be found doing his work right in the middle of the war zone. He would give his people a confidence unlike any other. I began to get a picture of not only good leadership, but I began to get a picture of God's heart towards us. That when the buildings of our life are torn down, when the consequences of our sin and maybe the sin of others has reached a boiling point, you don't see God operating like a coward, running from the rubble. You see him coming right into the middle of the rubble of our lives. This was true about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did not keep things easy. He did not live a luscious life and just keep things convenient. No, Jesus went to the rubble of our lives. The same is true with hope, that hope, let's be honest, in the moments we look back where we see hope in our lives, when has hope lifted our hearts? When has hope lifted our minds? It's when things have felt forsaken. When things have felt like doom, God brings hope into the midst of our lives. When Tom is sharing his story, the power of the story is that the end for him had come. And isn't that just like God? He misses plenty of opportunities to be early, but he's always right on time. And him showing up, well, he didn't really show up, did he? He did, but he put it on Marlene to feel that sense, to know that something was off. Why? Because Tom had a future. And that future was founded upon hope. Romans chapter 15, verse 13, it's incredible. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I love thinking about that in our dark moments, in our defeated moments, in the moments of disappointment and grief, God has a way, the love of God has a way of flowing to the deepest recesses of our lives. And it's audacious. It can sometimes seem impractical. It can, let's be honest, seem foolish. I'm sure all the advice of the the, the past prime ministers, as well as the royal family, as well as the military officials were like, Winston, let's get you out of here. Let's get you in some bunker. Let's get you safe and sound. We need you. And what did he say? He said, no. He said, our nation needs this leadership in this moment. It was ridiculous. And it began to turn the tide of the war. His resolve. Can I encourage you? God's heart is the same towards you. 
You may have friends, you may have family who look at your estate, look at your circumstances, and they've written you off. You may have dreams in your heart, passions, and everybody you've shared it to, they think, you're a little cuckoo. Things are a little crazy. Can I tell you, God is found in the midst of those moments. My hope today is to breathe hope, to breathe life into you. I want to read a gospel story. It's in John chapter 8. It's one of the most ridiculous stories of Jesus in all of the gospels. In John chapter 8, we'll begin in verse 1. It says, And each went to his own home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, At dawn, he appeared again at the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who had heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Hear hope in these words, then neither do I condemn you. Go now. And leave your life of sin. In chapter 7, verse 53, there's a statement. It says, The earliest manuscripts and many other ancient witnesses do not have John chapter 7, verse 53. 8, 1 through 11. I wonder why. Some, in fact many scholars, don't deny in any way, shape, or form that this story happened in Jesus. But religious leaders, church leaders sometimes, have a way of leaving out the inconvenient truth. One particular translator, David Bentley Hart, he's an Eastern Orthodox theologian. He proposes this. We can bring up this quote. He says, For one thing, in late antiquity, Jewish, Christian, or pagan, it would have been far more scandalous than commendable in most eyes for Jesus to have allowed an adulteress to go away, not only unpunished, but entirely without rebuke. That is where hope goes. That is where the Savior goes. Not where it's easy. Not where it's convenient. 
Not where you can live a facade of life. But the love of God flows into the deepest, hardest, most horrible mistakes that we've made. And what do we find there? Well, we find John 3, 17. I did not come into the world to condemn it, but that it might be saved. It's the love of God that compelled Paul to not go to the convenient Jewish countryside, but to go as an evangelist into the deepest, darkest, highest places of the Roman Empire and declare to them love has come, peace has come, hope has made its way to you. He is the Messiah. His name is Jesus. And I love this story. It's one of the, the stories I often read about and reflect upon in that almost to the point, it's just astounding to think that in the earliest, some of the earliest centuries that some church leaders would bypass this passage. Why? Because it just didn't quite line up. It didn't make sense. And sometimes you and I can feel that way about our mistakes, about our shame. You know, nobody becomes hopeless overnight. You know that, right? Nobody wakes up and thinks, you know what? Life's been too good. I think it's time for a deep, dark depression. Nobody wakes up like that. But the enemy of your soul, he has a way of connecting the dots of missed expectations to where all of a sudden an unanswered prayer request becomes the dominant force in your life. That somehow he can misguide and confuse the lover of your soul for an enemy. These missed expectations, what do they do? They begin to point to our soul, and our soul gets tethered to the lies, to the accusation, to the sense of defeat and disappointment, and we do our best by playing the comparison trap game, right? Let's look to the right. Let's look to the left to see how we're doing till we don't measure up, and we reach a point that the farthest thing from our mind is the whisper of your heavenly Father over your life, that you are the beloved of God. What I love about hope, hope don't care. Hope don't care. It shows up into the middle of a self-pity <laughs> self party with balloons, with cake, presents, and the Holy Spirit's just smiling, saying, you're worth it. You're worth it. Your future is worth it. Tom had things mapped out. Tom had things orchestrated Figure it out. He was going to take care of things. Keep it clean. Keep it quiet. Do the least damage he could. Show, show up silently. Hope don't care. Hope don't work by Tom's mind. Hope works through the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the sensitivity of others. Through the joy of community. You need others in your life. Marlene's going to work. She thinks it's indigestion at first. I imagine. She's thinking, man. You know, I shouldn't have gone to Dunkin' Donuts. Gets me every time. And she's, she's working. She's thinking, well, maybe, they, maybe, the, maybe the creamer and the coffee is outdated. 
man, I knew I shouldn't have had, he keeps wanting Pizza Hut. We should have had Papa John's. And now it's catching up. And, 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 she, and she's thinking, no, no, we didn't go to Dunkin' Donuts. I didn't have coffee and I didn't have pizza. What is this? And, and, and she senses something's off. I got to get home. Hope doesn't care. It will use whatever means are necessary. It will bypass the structure. It will shift the religiosity of an entire nation. And Jesus shows up. And what does he do? He whispers, hope. It's a beautiful work of God in your life and my life. Don't fear if your story hasn't happened yet. It will. And you're not going to be able to figure it out. You may try to forecast, try to circle a date. Hear me, those online. Hope is coming for you. You better get ready. Hope shows up. Marlene shows up. Bombards the door open. Tommy! (laughs) And then now, I don't know what choice words she had for him. We didn't capture that on camera. You'll have to talk to her later. But Tommy, what is going on? Um, Well, you know. Just standard procedure. Depressed, disappointed. Things aren't working out the way I planned. It's worthless. What's the point? Can I tell you, each one of those statements is real. Every one of those is a weight on our backs. Maybe the best thing I could say to you today is if you've had that thought, if you've felt that pain, you're not alone. One of the traps of the enemy is he likes, to think, likes you to think you're alone and nobody else is walking through it. Hillside, we try not to lie. Everybody surrounding you has walked through it. Maybe not to the extent you have, but know this. God sees you. Hope is like a letter in the mail. Just allow your circumstances that UPS at Christmas time, give them some grace. Hope's going to come. A breakthrough's going to come. You may have no idea. Can I tell you? Take that as solace. You're walking by faith, not by sight. God's going to send a Marlene smashing through your front door to share. Don't give up. Don't quit. That's what Jesus does. If you can imagine... We don't like to spend a lot of time there. This lady is as good as dead. That's not us conjuring up the emotions, trying to pull the most out of the story and try to exaggerate to manipulate your emotions. No, I'll just tell you, matter of fact, she was gone. She was gone. You talk about a misogynistic culture. It was Christians who first valued, well, through their Jewish family heritage, first valued women And children, Romans, they didn't care. They just thought it was some fun entertainment for the day. Jesus values every soul, values every person. In fact, that's one of my thoughts for today. One of the points is when hope shows up, Jesus affirms your value in and over your life. She knew she was gone. Jesus wasn't just hokey pokey. He was an established rabbi with regulations and with authority. And here they are accusing him, questioning him. Say, man, what do you say? They knew they had him trapped. But you ain't ever got hope trapped. And Jesus 
begins to write their names in the sand. Just kidding. We don't know what he's writing in the sand, but he begins to write in the sand. And he says, those who have not sinned, you throw the first stone. And in the moment, Bible doesn't share much. I can only imagine tears rushing down the sides of her cheeks. As a moment earlier, all of her life was flashing before her eyes with the words of Christ. All of her future now begins to flash before her eyes. God is a God, when hope shows up, God is a God that establishes hope. And when hope shows up, I want to encourage you, one of the first things that happens to our souls is we feel valued again. Can you imagine the value Tom felt in that moment? He felt forsaken. He felt distance. And he doesn't know the whys behind the what of what he's experiencing. But God came in, broke in. Hope came in. And can you imagine not only the physical peace, but the emotional peace that, son, you matter. Son, you're valuable. Son, I'm not done with you yet. It's a beautiful picture when hope shows up. When hope shows up, it still shows up in my life all over the place. And it reminds me, man, I am God's treasured. I'm his beloved. I am his pearl of great price. The same is true over your life, but the enemy, the lies, he wants to get us to such a place that, man, the whisper of heaven feels like a distant noise. And hope shows up, God shows up, and just begins to rearrange everything. I love when we think of that word value, go with me for a moment. Value defined is our worth, merit, or importance. Every one of us has played to one level or another some mind games this week. And whether we like to admit it or not, it's almost human nature. Invariably, we've gone somewhere this week that said we don't measure up. My performance was not good enough. I didn't accomplish all that I needed to accomplish. And then we drag that thinking into our spiritual walk. And so we come and we think, I don't measure up. And God shatters that and he says, I've created you in my image. You're the one I love. You're the one I desire. And what does he do? He begins to breathe hope into our lungs and into our lives. I want to read a quote and then we'll close. A quote from a book. If you've been here for a season, you know by now this is one of my favorite books. Henry Nouwen. It's a book called Being the Beloved. And I want to read just a, just a portion over it. Can we bring that quote? I think I got it to the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's read this. Over the years, this is Henry Nouwen writing. Over the years, I have come to realize that the greatest trap in our life is not success, popularity, or power, but self-rejection. Success, popularity, and power can indeed present a great temptation, but their seductive quality often comes from the way they are, part of the much larger temptation of self-rejection. When we have come to believe in the voices They call us worthless and unlovable. Then success, popularity, and power are easily perceived as attractive solutions. The real trap, however, is self-rejection. 
As soon as someone accuses me or criticizes me, as soon as I am rejected, left alone, or abandoned, I find myself thinking, well, that proves once again that I am a nobody. My dark side says, I am no good. I deserve to be pushed aside, forgotten, rejected, and abandoned. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. Being the beloved constitutes the core truth of our existence. That's a good quote. Can you imagine the self-loathing being caught not only in any sin, but the very act of adultery? The shame, the cloak, she had nothing, nothing to stand on. But she would leave saying, but for the grace of God, go I. Hope restores value. Hope, the second thought is that hope restores purpose. Hope restores purpose. I think of the show, The Chosen, and I'm not far into it. Some of you I know are, are roadies of the show. I'm, but I've just been seeing slowly but surely one person after another being chosen by God and being invited to come follow. Jesus invites each one of us, says, hey, hey, come on, follow me. It's remarkable that they step into a purpose beyond themselves. There's a reason that at our church, that in our growth track, coming up in two weeks, we give you a small booklet that says, why on earth am I here? Why we do that is because we found that for many people, that's the question of their life. Why, why on earth am I here? The truth is, you're uniquely designed by God for such a time as this, to walk in relationship with him. And sometimes we like to zone in, like, what's my purpose? Here's a great purpose. Just live every day fully loved by God. That's a great place to start. And then tomorrow, he'll connect a dot. The next day, he'll connect a dot. Then you'll show up at church, and you'll meet a divine contact who opens doors you didn't know you needed to open. It's just how God works. Hope provides value. That value creates purpose. And all of a sudden, where you were nosediving, Jesus has lifted you up and given you a purpose beyond yourself. It's remarkable. Yeah, it's something worth clapping about. I, I agree. I agree with that golf clap, somebody. Amen to that golf God is up to so much good. God is up to so much good in our lives. And there was a distinct touch, no doubt about it, on today's message. Two things are at play. One, you need to hear this message. Let's just start there. You needed to hear this message. You've been discounting yourself, and it's time to shut up. Quit buying into lies over your life. It's good to have a thought and say, who told me that? Who told me that? Where is that coming from? And let the voice of God ring true. Not me. I love you. They're stupid. It's good. You have to go there sometimes. 
And let the voice of God ring over your life that you have value. And let the hope of God, you take it by faith. Listen, he's not going to give you a million dollars and say good luck. He gives himself. If we take him, it will move us forward. Some of you are trying to figure it all out. Give me all the answers. Figure, God, take care of my circumstances. God's just wanting to say, would you calm down? Would you calm all that down? Would you let me love you right now, today? That's all you need. That's all you need. We get caught in the trap of all the details, and our mind gets so exhausted. All the while, God's singing his love song over us. He's just saying, would you let me love you? Would you let me? But God, what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? Because then we get on social media and we find other people. We make groups out of other people. Oh, you know, and so we just keep this anxiety. And God's just saying, why, why not get off social media for a minute, Paul? Why don't you just rest? I love you. Let that be enough. Can I tell you, when I am fully loved, I walk with hope. So two things at play. One, that may be for you. You just needed to hear, man, I need God to invade every space of my life. The second may be, God wants your heart to be a little more tender and compassionate to some coworkers, to some family members. He don't need you to preach. He don't need you to manipulate. He don't need you to try to force them into con, you know, force them into a corner so you can find them out. They don't need another person telling them how badly they've missed the mark, how they'll never measure up. They don't need that. They just need somebody to throw them a rope. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to know this Bible front to back. You don't even have to have the faith that what you're saying could even happen. You just have to have the name Jesus. Telling your coworker, man, this is crazy. Put it on me. Y'all just blame me. Be like, I don't know, this is gonna be this is gonna sound really, really crazy. And I don't even know if this is true, but my pastor said that Jesus could help you. And and and, and he's helping me. But come on, you know me. You know I still cuss. You know, I still do some crazy things. You know, I make some poor decisions. You know, I talk about our boss. And then you just start naming all the ways you missed it. I'm kidding. But you talk, you just, just be your real self and you say, but listen, listen, one thing I know is that I was lost, but now I'm found. That I was broken, but I'm beginning to be healed. That I didn't even know my front from my back, my name, but he knew my name and he spoke to my destiny. Can I tell you more? More of that, less a, will go miles for this generation that is suffering. My heart is tender for this next generation. I've never seen anxiety on the levels it is. It's staggering. They don't need to hear how anxious they are or how wrong they are for being anxious. They just need to know hope has a name. It's Jesus. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for our lives. Why don't we stand to our feet? We're going to worship with one more song. Why don't we stand to our feet? 
Lord, we want to take hope to the streets. God, we want to take hope to every road in this region. We want to see hope set the captives free, God. That, Lord, the mercy of God, the mercy of God would flood the heart of the broken. That, Lord, you would bring life to the dead spaces in this community. God, and it's easy for us just to pray. But, Lord, we, we want to set our lives aside and dedicate our hearts to carrying your hope this week, Lord. Again, I pray for every heart here who needs the hope of Jesus. Call upon him right now. Jesus, I need you. Forgive me. I want to follow you. I want to call you Lord and Savior. Would your mercy flood my heart? Take my life, God. You may have my past, my present, and my future. I'm all in with you, God. But Lord, we also want to be vessels in our families, in our friendships, on our social media, any way we can. We want to let people know hope has a name. It's the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray right now for those who are hopeless, that you would lift them up. God, would we be mindful this week of Jesus, who when the record of wrongs was there before him, when the justice was there before him, when the judgment was available before him, he chose the way of the Father's heart, saying, you are my beloved. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Lord, continue to captivate us with your goodness. We're so grateful to know you. Walk in your ways. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate all those making a decision this morning.